Okay, so as we, we touched briefly on Lovey Smith getting the job with the taxi. And one of the points that um, Flores was making in his lawsuit, which is a point that's very well made, is that it's not just that uh, minority coaches are not getting opportunities, but when they get the opportunities, they get the worst of them. They get the ones that basically nobody wants because there are only 32 positions and really and truly is really the bad ones that keep having to hire coaches. So, well, Ricky, you mentioned your lovey um, take already. Mm-hmm. Justin, what do you feel about Lovey Smith at the Texas? <sighs> so let me quickly say, right, I've seen Lovey obviously during his Chicago years. I have a lot of respect, a lot of love for Lovey Smith, especially the guy who's come from a great coaching tree in Tony Dungy. And let me say this, right, as a side point, I have so much love for Tony Dungy and his efforts in making sure that Every single year under his tenure in Tampa Bay and then in Indianapolis, he made sure his assistants were black and gave them the opportunity then to turn around and be head coaches. I have a lot of respect for Lovey Smith. I just don't, well, I do know, but I'll reserve my comments here. Lovey Smith is not the correct hire for Houston, but as Ricky and y'all have so eloquently pointed out, checker is not chess. So the reality is Houston really wanted Josh McCown. They, they don't think that is any secret by now. They, all, they wanted that. But they missed the lawsuit and they missed the fact that the other eight openings went to white candidates. They could not really justify him, especially considering he has absolutely no prior coaching experience. I don't mind what Ricky said, that that's not coaching experience. <laughs> he has no prior coaching experience. They could not turn around and justify bringing him as a coach. So as Ricky correctly said, they called Flores' bluff. Says, oh, you want this job? And you say that a black person should get it? All right, we'll give a black person, just not you. We're going to give somebody within our own organization, so we're promoting from within. The players all love him, so the players won't be upset. He's a black man. The criteria that you kept noise for him, Flores. And again, as Ricky correctly said, a man who has been to a Super Bowl, so he has a resume. I just don't know where you're going with 62-year, 62-year-old Lovey Smith at this point. And I know Lovey is taking his job as his retirement package. But guys, if y'all don't know this already, just like David Cully before him, this is a, going to be a one-and-done situation for Houston until they can get or make the job attractive for the people who they really want. Because you don't hire a 62-year-old Lovey Smith and figure he is the person to take the show forward. And again, I have all love and respect for Lovey, but nobody is hiring a 62-year-old thinking that this is the man, the future coach of my franchise. No. So like Cully before him, this is a one-and-done situation. They hope they can get the whole Deshaun Watson situation solved and, you know, figured out by this offseason. Make the job look a little bit more attractive. Fire Lovey Smith for whatever reason, because just as y'all mentioned, I can't prove that you didn't hire a man for whatever reason. The same way I can fire a man for whatever reason I want. 
So they're going to justify firing Lovey Smith when they eventually find the coach that they want to go forward with. What about you, AJ? Hmm. Justin, boy. <laughs> on the nose, on the nose. Oh, Justin, I once again just said everything I wanted to say. Lovey Smith was hired by the Texans because the Texans have no idea what their team is at this point. No one knows what the Texans are. And, and, and I have this in my notes as well. This is, a, this is a repeat of what they did with Kali last season. This, this is the same crap they did last year. And Lovey Smith is about to endure the same fate. Now, now mind you, Lovey Smith is no scrub. And um, um, Professor Rick already told us why, right? Brought some teams to the Super Bowl. He has a resume that obviously looks better than Kali's and whatnot. It's not that. But, but good grief, the man is 62 years old, for real. Seriously? And, 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 and in some respects, I can't say I wholeheartedly agree with, with Justin's McClone point, but I do to, to a certain extent that they wanted Josh, Mc, Josh McClone. They did want him, right? But at this point, but at this point, you don't even know, you don't even know what your quarterback situation is, which is, which is the main issue you have to get. Like, because Deshaun Washington right now is, is like an urban myth, right? Why, why, why get a young coach to rebuild with? And especially in, in light of this whole Brian Flores lawsuit, is like, all right, you know what? Let's take a step back from McCown right now. Let's not do this right now. We have a black man in here who has some experience. You know, he's, he's been around the game for a while. Let's just promote him and give him this job. As, as if no one else can see that this is the exact same thing they did with Kali last year. Obviously, they didn't promote Kali, but you know what I mean. Just get an old black man. To, to fill the void until they're ready for, until they have seemingly figured out what to do with their team, what to do about the quarterback situation, and until they're ready to bring in whoever it is they want. Lovey Smith is not going to last, and I don't even think he cares. Like, like, like Justin said, this is, his, this is his severance package. The man taking this to, to head into retirement. So why the heck not from his situation? Because there's absolutely no pressure. What are the Texans trying to do next year? What? Their main objective is to get a quarterback. It, it can't even be to make the playoffs. So what, what pressure does Lovey Smith have other than just, just to take a head coaching role as a figurehead, as a governor general, essentially, to make some money and retire? I, listen, I really despise the Texans, you know. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to come forward. Now, AJ, I don't know if you reckon or you had seen this conversation in one of our whatsapp chats mm. i think it might have been even today mm -hmm. as we're recording this on tuesday where one of the guys in the chat was saying that looking at the brian flores situation with ross how when ross approached flores and told him basically we want you to tank that he had basically one or two options is either to tank or to push off and go somewhere else because he was not tanking. I said that for Flores, who was a young head coach at the time, mm. there was absolutely no way possible for him to decide that he was going to tank and it would have been worse for him to decide he was going to push off. Because if the team tanks and they lose a whole bunch of games, the team will get the draft picks that they want. They will pick the players that they want. And then they will fire him for all of the losses that he took while he was in the position. That brings me now to Lovey Smith 
and David Cully last season. So we knew going into the season that the Texans were not going to be good. And they were not good. Cully was the fall guy because mm -hmm. the team lost all those games and through no fault of his own, he had to go. So Cully is out the door. I know Lovey Smith, old boy, old successful head coach Lovey Smith gets promoted. Now, one of the reasons why, too, that this, as you guys said, is chess and not checkers. Well, the Texans were abysmal pretty much the entirety of the season. Their defense was not that bad. And Lovey Smith was the defensive coordinator. They're here. All of the upheaval is on the offensive side of the ball. So, hey, guess what? We'll reward the, the defensive coordinator and promote him to be the head coach. The entire defense is going to be good. Everybody is happy. And the offense is still going to be stinky. So, guess what? When Lovey Smith and he takes this defense now, that was better than expected last season. And probably so six wins out of the 17 games that the Texans play. When they go now and they, they get rid of Deshaun Watson. So the stink of that is gone from the organization. We have been so far removed now from all of the stress that we had when we had that joker that went over to Alabama. His name does not even come back to me right now. Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien. So we, 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 we got rid of O'Brien, who got rid of New Hopkins, and everything, we dismantled the team, so now we can rebuild it in our image. We can refashion this how we want. And thank you, Lovey Smith, for everything that you have done for us for the last year or two. But guess what? As you guys said, like I have said about a lot of football, soccer coaches, Going to Chelsea, severance is loading. You already know what your pill is when you get fired. So you're just waiting to collect that check. You're just waiting. And after that, then we will probably never hear from poor Lovey Smith. I wonder, Boy, what, I wonder if poor. they... Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he he won't definitely be because won't be poor. Entire salary. <laughs> I, I, like I wonder, I wonder if, if they put a retirement clause in this man contract to say that to, to, to save face, for them to save face, at the end of when this Lovey Smith experiment is over for the Texans and they're ready to get rid of him, that he will retire to make it seem as if he's the one stepping away from the job. That is, it, it, it just came to mind. It, I mean, it's interesting to think about, no? Yep. So, well, we have Lovey Smith, who is the... Fully, I, I, I don't want to put it that way, but the fully black man that's been hired during this... Uh, coaching cycle. <laughs> you have Mike McDaniel, who has been hired off of the San Francisco um, coaching staff to be the new head coach of the Miami Dolphins. And I am not here to put it on to Mr. McDaniel because if everybody, if you want to go draw his blood to see what he is, that is their prerogative. However, this man's father is black. Therefore, when we go back in history, we know that they had the one drop rule, where if you have one drop of black blood in you, you were black. Mr. McDaniel is a black man that just happens to be clearer than me and has straighter hair than all of us on this panel. But he was the first minority hire in this entire process. And he's going down now to Miami to 
be the quarterback whisperer for Tua. So, Justin, I'll give you first crack at this. Actually, no. Ricky, you've been quiet for a while. So, give you first crack at Mr. McDaniel coming into your division at Miami. Yes, gentlemen. Based on resume, I would have to say that it is a solid hire. There's no question that having experience with that offense and on that coaching tree, um, we have seen how that translated in Green Bay. Jury's still out in New York. But we have seen branches of that coaching tree and that philosophy take root and have success. So I can't doubt, um, based on the background, that he can do the same. Um, we've seen them have, you know, effective offensive philosophies that I think are productive. Um, the organization itself, we have to question. And I know for a fact that AJ... Justin and Ken, y'all don't know what being a fan of a dysfunctional organization feels like, right? <laughs> AJ has championship shirts and banners. Ken has as well, and Justin has. I am the resident dysfunctional fan that I can tell you what a dysfunctional organization looks like. And as much as McDonald's is going to come in with credentials and so supposedly he is putting together a strong team, um, if that dysfunction remains, I've learned one thing about being an NFL fan. As long as that dysfunction remains, it will find a way to meddle and to offset some of the greatest plans that you may have and some of the better coaches that you may have. So while I have confidence in Mr. McDaniels and his whatever percent of blackness, I actually went on online just now and saw an article in Miami that started off trying to validate Mr. McDonald's blackness is the title. Could you believe? Ancestry.com on this. Yes, no. That's, that's <laughs> the article I can share it with you guys later. But I, I, I just think that, that the Ross family will find a way to meddle that gentleman out of being productive. I, because I, I believe that Flores was also a very good coach. Mm. And they found a way to do it there as well. So they're, they're not going to get out of their own way, sad to say. So, unfortunately, good hire, coming with a good philosophy, but you guys know, if you don't draft well, if you don't attract good free agents, you, it is very difficult to be competitive in this league if you don't draft well. What about you, Justin? What do you make of Mr. McDaniels? Same thing that Ricky said. So, before I get to the crux of Ricky's point that I agree with, it's a good hire on paper because the offense that Tua Tungabailoa thrived in in Alabama under Steve Sarkeesian is the same offense or kind of the same offense that mm -hmm. McDaniel ran, ran under Kyle Shanahan and mm -hmm. basically that you've seen all across the NFL now, as he said, with LaFleur, Sean McVay, Arthur Smith, you could go on, um, LaFleur, uh, LaFleur's baby brother, that's mm -hmm. with... Mikey, Mikey LaFleur, correct. Yes, the, that was with you right now. You've seen mm -hmm. branches of this offense all over the place. Even Zach Taylor is a part of this branch. A lot of people yeah. don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, it's really Mike Shanahan's branch. You're seeing the effects of it. So I have no problem with the actual hire on paper, right? As I said, to a thrive under Steve Sarkeesian and that same offense. He's coming to run the football. And part of the problem in Miami, offensively, they really could not run the football. 
And if anything, Kyle Shanahan offenses can do is run the football. We've seen, seen it in San Francisco. We've seen it in Green Bay. We even saw it in Los Angeles when they had Tom Gurley. But Sean McVay is done with that. No. Mm-hmm. But Ricky's correct. Culture over everything. And I know only this season really accepted that. There are particular franchises that will do well all the time or even if they're not doing greatly, will be okay because culture is greater than anything else. You could have the best players. You could have the best coaches. You could have the best um, general manager. It doesn't matter if the culture of the franchise is bad. And if you want an example of that, because Ricky didn't exactly give you one, I'll give you one. You're seeing it in the Super Bowl right now. Everyone talked about how bad Matt Stafford, the quarterback, he was. And he had no playoff wins. And what happened the moment, the second he stepped outside of Detroit, what happened? All of a sudden, three playoff wins and he's in the Super Bowl. So magically, Matt Stafford is a good quarterback. No, no. Detroit is an awful franchise. This is a, this is a franchise that has made the playoffs in three of the last 22 years. And two of those three years came under a black man and you fired that black man. Jim Caldwell. Jim Caldwell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You fired that black man and now you have not made the playoffs since you've gotten rid of that man. And you only made the playoffs one season prior to that black man in the last 22 years. Calvin Johnson, a Hall of Famer, said he would rather retire before the age of 30 than play another season in Detroit. Left, and they fought over money. If you think Calvin Johnson's not good enough, then what about all to a top five running back in Barry Sanders? The same thing. I think Ma's last season, he ran for 1,600 yards. I said, I would rather retire than play another down for the Detroit Lions. I say all that to say again, Ricky's correct. Culture over everything. And if you feel the need that you can fire a black man that has given you successive winning seasons for the first time in over 10 years, and you think that the next person's coming in and changing the culture of your franchise, you are a liar. (laughs) The Miami Dolphins are going to be in hell until the moment that the NFL is forced with this lawsuit to put Stephen Ross outside of the organization. Culture over everything, and Ricky is correct. It does not matter if they <clears throat> dig up the grave of, of Vince Lombardi, if they give it to, to Mike Tomlin, if they give it to Bill Belichick, if they put me, you, AJ, Ricky to coach. It does not matter. Culture over everything. What about you, AJ? Um, so like the others, like these auspicious guests before me, <laughs> I, I was, I am very interested in, 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 or I should say I, I, I did like the hire on paper, right? Um, because of obviously the fact that he's a more offensive mind and now mind you, I don't believe in Tua and I'll touch on that in a second, but, <laughs> but but for the type of offense that McDaniel is supposed to be able to build, it may help Tua to become whatever is the best version of himself that he will be in the NFL. 
if if the guy can actually take that step it it should it should right based based on on pure optics um just on how these pieces are coming together it should don't know if it's going to happen there's no guarantee um there is there is something to say about the about you guys point on the culture of this organization right um because okay so the ross let brian flores go and it was under the guise of so they didn't even suggest that it was oh well because he won or whatever there was a lot of rumblings came out and and then we heard that it was because um brian flores in, uh, himself didn't believe in tour and they wanted to essentially get someone who they thought hold on aj you don't uh -huh. want to say it so i will say it. <laughs> they let him go under the guise that he's an angry black man and these are their words <laughs> who is impossible to work with then he has an issue with the exact quote was that he had an issue with relationships. Relationship. Yeah. Right, right. So fair enough. And and where I will actually defend Flores here is that I I think that that was based on the whole tour thing, right? And they did not put him, him being Brian Flores, in a position to see, to succeed by drafting tour. So again, it, this goes back to what you guys said about the culture of the organization. Because the man didn't even want to win a draft. No. He wanted Justin Herbert, right? And we Herbert. saw enough evidence in Tua's rookie season that, that Flores didn't necessarily believe in him because every single time the little boy was in trouble, what did he do? Go back to old faithful, old yeller. And uh, when, right. needed to win, when they needed to win a game, they went to Fitz Magic. It was every so single time. Every game. single time. Every single time. So we know that there is some truth to that story, right? So again... Again, relating to you guys' um, topic, uh, um, point on culture, it, it, this may be, not maybe, this culture will be too strong for a first-time head coach to overcome. Like, it said that, that, that um, yes, yeah, some, some people just aren't great enough to overcome dysfunction. And I think that will be true in this case. I, I don't know if I see McDaniel uh, like staying here a long time because, I, I, as was already articulated, unless, as long as Stephen Ross is in this position, he's going to get it his own way. And his minion, Chris Greer, um, something is going to happen that, that will essentially possibly see some excuse as to why McDaniel can't continue in this position because I don't have faith in them to put him in the best position to win. It seems that if Flores wasn't, Flores who at that point in time should have had more in terms of like this, uh, 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 part of the, the decision-making process, if he wasn't even allowed to pick or, or to have a, a final say in who he wanted at, at quarterback, I, I don't know how McDaniel, who's a first-timer now, is going to have that sort of pull either. So, yeah, the, the rotten culture of this organization, I think, is going to shine through at some point. And um, in the meantime... Let me end it on a light note. I'm interested to see what tour will become in the interim. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy G South, man. <laughs> at, least, at least Jimmy G has arm strength. <laughs> True. True. And a little hype. Yeah, so you guys have, have spoken extensively on the culture that exists in Miami. So... I will not touch that point at all. I, what you've said is well said. But 
to finish, to start where AJ finished. There's no way that McDaniel got this job if he did not come in with a plan as to how he was going to make to improve. That is the bottom line. You know, coming in, that the last coach got fired because he really didn't care for the quarterback. But the quarterback is the one that is loved by ownership. So therefore, you have to come in with a plan to fix him because it's not that we're coming in and we're going to switch our quarterback. No. Tua is the guy, at least, if not just for this season, for the next two seasons. And Medania has to fix that. No. Coming in, I had no idea who Mr. McDaniel was. I heard more about his race than I heard about his coaching coming into this, this entire conversation. But from my research, I do see that he does have some bona fides. He was the run game coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers before he was promoted then to offensive coordinator. Now, it's interesting that we are not hearing the same kinds of conversations about if he's calling the players or if um, his head coach is calling the players, but I digress. He is the guy that has been given the task now to develop the offense in Miami because the defense actually played very well and kept them going. If he's able to bring in people to help foster that defense, keep it good. And also, if he has a plan to make it all good, then... All power to him. It's going to make your guys' division a lot more interesting because at least, you know, maybe we may have a half-decent Dolphins team for the entire season as opposed to playing Jacqueline and Hyde, you know, tanking because Ross wants it to tank and then winning gears because, of course, don't feel it tanking anymore. Now, we talk about one quarterback who um, is loved by his organization and therefore that's they brought in a coach to try to fix him. Now, AJ and I will be exempt from this conversation because we talked about this guy at length last week, and that is Brian Dable going to the New York Giants because we know that the Maras, they said that basically we're the ones responsible for Daniel Jones being screwed up, and we have not put any stability around him, and therefore we <laughs> want to give him an opportunity now to become all that he can be. And the point that we both agreed on last week is that Dable would have gotten this job because they would have See, looked at the development of, of Josh Daniel. Allen and uh, there were similarities in the games between the two. So I put it to you two, gentlemen. Justin, we'll start with you on this one. Dable in the Giants. First thing, let me say this, right? The only similarities between Daniel Jones and Josh Allen is that they're white. And it stops. <laughs> this is, they're both Caucasian. That's, the, that's where the similarity starts and ends. Like, I, I don't know what people come to justify. And me, so before I continue, let me say I like Brian Dable. Huh? I like Brian Dable because I am the guy who said I like what they do with Josh Allen. They like what the Bills did when they realized, look, we can't run the football. This offensive line, for whatever reason, is not a good run blocking unit. Let us use Josh Allen in whatever way is possible. I loved what Brand Dable did with Josh Allen. It is stupid, ignorant. What's the word? 
inefficient. It is, it is you are, this is sabotage here to think that because this guy who is coaching is an all-world talent, otherworldly talent in Josh Allen, because that's what his skill set is, right? Otherworldly. He's, he has a cannon of arm, an extremely mobile guy. This is not to say Daniel Jones isn't. And a tank of a human being. That because Brian Dable has success with Josh Allen, that is going, or you can replicate this with 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 Daniel Jones. This is what is the word I'm looking for? Like, what is the word? Help me, gentlemen. When you're not good at your job, <laughs> inept. <laughs> not Media inept. Walker, Richard Sherman voice. You were like, 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 like you're an in, yeah. I'll use inept, but that's not the word I'm looking for. You, you do not know what you're doing, and the fact that you sat down right and came out before the season ended and says you are not moving on from Daniel Jones next season, this shows you how bad you do not understand or how bad you are at your job. And if indeed you are going to take on with Daniel Jones for whatever reason, wouldn't the obvious hire be someone like Eric Bieniemy, who has taken a backyard football quarterback who admittedly could not and said out of college he did not know how to read defenses and read pre-snap. Isn't the obvious hire Eric Bieniemy? Isn't that the obvious one? And again, I like Brian Dable, right? But to come now and tell me, oh, well, Daniel Jones looked like Josh Allen, so we can take Brian Dable in his madness. <laughs> Utter and complete madness. This is, I, I'm fumbling for words, sorry, gentlemen, because I could not believe it that that was a justification for taking Brian Dable. Just tell me you have a problem hiring black people because I'm going to get to it now. The New York Giants have never hired a black man as a head coach. What you also may not realize, the New York Giants have never had a black starting quarterback in the franchise's history. Never once. You can go and look it up, Ricky. You take it for joking. They have never once. Uh, so that the only one to play for them was Gino? He yeah. played for them, but he wasn't there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's just he it. To, to, to end Eli's streak, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. You have never drafted or put in place a black starting quarterback. You've never hired a black head coach. I know you are telling me that you're bringing Brian Dable because Daniel Jones looked like, like, like Josh Allen. You do not know what the hell you are doing. I like Brian Dable as a coach. I hope the New York Giants never, ever again make the playoffs for the next 25 years. I pray <laughs> and I hope. Okay. If I just if I if I no, may, right? You can go ahead, no, 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 because I, I, I just want to make this point really quickly. Because Ken and I, 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 I kid you not, this is what I said to Ken last week. This is nothing against Brian Dable, right? But I have no faith in the Jets, uh, the Giants. Sorry, as an sorry about that, right? Freudian slip, Freudian slip. No, no, no. I have no faith in the Giants as an organization, right? This, this is exactly what I said. I'm not going, I'm not going to be long, Ricky. I'll let you go. I, I just wanted to, to show you how much I do not trust this franchise. And this has nothing to do with the fact that they beat me in Super Bowls. It has everything to do with what Justin just said. 
They, I don't know if these men realize that there's still a football franchise in the National Football League. I don't, I, I don't know if the Maras understand what, what it is that, that they're into at this point. I trust, I trust Kevin Hart to win an Academy Award for Best Actor more than I trust the New York Giants, footballing Giants, to figure out what it is they're doing with this franchise. The Maras specifically, to figure out what is happening with their franchise. That's all I needed to say. I, I, right. I, I just wanted to reiterate that, Justin, because I said this to Ken last week. This is more about a distrust of this organization than it is Brian Dable's potential ability as head coach. Sorry, I found the word now. This is incompetence. Incompetence is <laughs> the word I'm looking for. Utter incompetence. You have seen, and I've never seen a football player in this quarterback, especially a young quarterback. Daniel Jones, since Daniel Jones' rookie season, the man has gotten progressively worse. I have never seen a rookie in any sport, a young player, continually get experience and get worse at what they are experiencing. I have never seen it in my entire life. And you think Brian Dable, because he has coached a man with a skill set far superior to Daniel Jones, because Daniel Jones is not as big as him, he is not as strong as him. He is not as, as athletic as Josh Allen. He does not have the arm, does not have the arm talent, does not have the wheels, does not have the strength to run over linebackers. And because Brian Dable coached Josh Allen to success, you are bringing him to coach Daniel Jones, who we all know should not be starting far less in an NFL franchise. I would not start him in the SEC if he was to go back to college tomorrow. I would not start him. This is incompetence. Hi, Ricky. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me say, as the resident New York fan, and I, I started off last time talking about dysfunction. Let me, let me say one thing. The Giants have been consistent, but not in a good way. Pat Shermer's record, 32 games, 9 and 23. Joe Judge's record, 32 games, 10 and 23. One could argue that's progress. You found a way in 32 games to win one more. Right? Those are the last two head coaches for the Giants. Same thing. Come to New York. The media runs with it. We hear all the great stories. We heard them about Shermer. We heard them about Judge, right? Mm -hmm. This is what I mean about dysfunctional organizations. Off-season, what do you do? We know you build teams through free agent sign-in, so sometimes you build teams through the draft. We will argue the Rams are a classic example. They're not using the draft. Bengals drafted well, and they valid. So we got an example in this Super Bowl. But what baffles me is when you sign Kyle Rudolph, we don't have anything of substance to see from Kyle Rudolph since that big free agent signing. Kenny Galladay. Well, I mean, what are, we, what are we doing? Right? When I look at the draft side of it, I don't have anything of note other than I will say Andrew Thomas. Andrew Thomas graded well this past season. He didn't have a good rookie season, but he graded well this past season. Other than that, Right, and let me shout out Mark Thompson, fan of both shows, this Justin and Green Beach. But Mark, I gotta give some licks here as my as my resident Giants fan expert. The Giants are showing me that they are just as dysfunctional as we thought these last few seasons. And until they find a way to get out of their own way, there's one thing I learned about the NFL these last few years in particular. There are teams that get it right and find a way. Right, And then there are teams that get in their own way and get it wrong. And I don't see anything different here. 
um, the presumption, um, Daniel Jones versus Josh Allen, as y'all said, I agree. Wrong, wrong. If you make that as, you know, that if that's the core of what you're thinking, then you're going to just give Daniel Jones another 17 games now to prove that he is not capable of making those kind of steps. And that's, that's, the, that's the core issue. That's the core issue. Not to mention that I feel when you when you develop a, a record of that level of function, it becomes even more difficult for you to get out of your own way because all, that's all you know. I got four words to finish this off. Four words. Incompetence. <laughs> well said. No, definitely. So, fellas, I know we're going to be back here again next week. There's no reason that we have to go through all nine of these hires. Agree. This week's episode, so we'll leave a few. We'll leave a few for next week. But there's one that we need to finish with because it then helps us and in, lead into our last discussion for this week's episode, and that is my Saints. My Saints. They have hired Dennis Allen. They've Dear. promoted Dennis yeah. Allen yeah. from my DC. To know be my He's now the head coach of the Saints. And I'll just talk about Dennis Allen and the Saints so we can spend the rest of our time on the main topic. I believe that Dennis Allen being hired for the Saints is not a bad move. It's probably not the best thing that we could have done. However, it is a great move from the perspective of continuity. Dennis Allen was the interim head coach when Sean Payton came down with COVID. And he was able to still, you know, try to keep the wheels rolling while the rest of the offense was kind of struggling. The defense, he was able to coordinate a top five defense in the NFL. Top, top 10 in terms of yards and top five in terms of scoring. So Dennis Allen getting the position I don't have an issue with it personally. I said to AJ, and I said it in other places as well, when Sean Payton announced that he was going to be stepping down, Dennis Allen would have been my first choice if I'm looking internally as the person to, to take the reins of the team. And at that time, he was being interviewed for other positions, but ultimately, I don't know if it was he turned him down you know, he wasn't offered, but he was offered and he accepted to be my new head coach. And I am relatively pleased for that. However, the other name that was coming up for consideration, as we have heard pretty much every year for the last three or four years, is Eric Bieniemy, who came to the Saints and had eight hours of an interview with my organization, but ultimately was not given the job. As soon as he was not given the position as head coach, then it was announced that Mr. Bienemy is returning to be the offensive coordinator again for the Kansas City Chiefs, who he and well, Andy Reid himself has debunked the myth. He has been calling the plays pretty much all season long, and now he'll have yet another season to be calling the plays for Kansas City. So, gents, the enemy, when we look at what has happened to him again through another hiring cycle, Ricky, what are your thoughts? Wait, actually, hold on. You know what? I, I, I want to go first here. The reason is because I probably have less to say than the other two guys, so I want to let them speak. 
Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say, if you interview for eight hours, I'm not buying this BS that it is that he's interviewing badly. Because if he's interviewing right. badly, why are you keeping him on for eight hours? Yes. So it can't just be that. Like, I don't know if it is that people are not buying that he's not the one calling the players, or, or not buying that he is the one calling the players, sorry. Can you even figure out if I'm wearing that correctly? But you all know what I mean. Mm -hmm. if, if it is that Andy Reid has not convinced the world enough, I, I, I don't know exactly what it is. I, I'm honestly, uh, I'm a bit perplexed at this situation. So I, that's all I need to say. And I, I'll, I will let you guys take the floor because I really don't have much to say because it, this just does not make sense to me. I want to hear your thoughts. That's all. Can we go for it, Ricky? Yeah, I think that we have a situation here where the league and these teams know why they're not hiring Eric the enemy. But just like the litany of little dirty secrets that this league has, they're not going to come out and say. Um, it is obvious to me that they know. Um, you can't keep going through this. You can't keep seeing. I mean, we know the pattern. If you have a team as respected as the Kansas City Chiefs and an offense that is respected like the Chiefs, and you're having success as the offensive coordinator of that team, then the natural, you know, the, the, the law of the jungle is that that person gets an opportunity. That is the way it works. Justin mentioned that in the past. Um, so there has to be a reason. They will not come out and give us the reason. Mr. Bayanami's contract with the same Kansas City Chiefs is going to expire. And that is talk in Kansas City as well. I read an article today in preparation for this show where they said, oh, well, if he really wants to get a job, maybe he needs to leave Kansas City, get an OC job somewhere else to prove it. And you know who they used as the example? Josh McDaniels with the Patriots. The article was essentially saying that, you know, everybody thought it was Brady. So McDaniels needed Brady to leave and then show what he could do with Mac Jones. And that's why he got the Raiders job. Um, Justin talks often about the moving goalposts. Well, this is, this is the, the moving narrative. Because when I read articles like that and I see what the enemy has in terms of his credentials, no. Someone or someones don't want this man to have a job as a head coach in the NFL. Punto final. And there is nothing that he can do right now. I'm sorry to say, and it doesn't sound good to end the show in this note, but there's nothing he can do right now to get a job in the NFL. Let me just say, I don't have anything more to add. Um, all of us have worked with people. All of us worked in organizations. All of us know what the hiring process and the talent search process feels like. If someone wanted this gentleman, he would have had a job because he has enough going for him in the current job he has that he could have secured one of these jobs. So they don't, they don't want this man to be a head coach in this league. Your turn, Justin. Let me quickly say and get this out of the way. I have no problem with the Saints taking Dennis Allen. As you said, a guy who's coached in the elite defense the time he's been there, well-respected and interim head coach when Sean Payton went down with COVID. And the only concern is that I would not want to see his offensive staff, but I figured the Saints should not have let him go through the door because he has been the architect of your defensive resurgence in New Orleans. So I have no problem with that area. Really no, no problem. And especially with Sean Payton leaving, you wanted a measure of continuity in that franchise. 
with Drew Brees also leaving as well. Yes. No problem with the hair. This boy's name should be Eric the Enemy. Because <laughs> as, as you correctly said, right, the enemy is not going to get a job here. And my biggest issue with him is the moving goalposts. Like you just see it moving all the time. The first thing we were told against Eric Bieniemy, and I, he is the man that they're targeting, right? Because he's the successful one of all these young black, or not young, but black coaches. He's 52 years old, relatively young, 52 years old. But so if you're going to tear down us, you're going to tear down the head. And the head right now is seen as Eric Bieniemy because he's the guy with the success. Mm-hmm. And by success, I'm just going to quickly talk because he is a former NFL running back. A lot of people don't know that. Right. And I think he was in the league for nine years. So it's not like he was a scrub. This is a successful NFL career he has. Mm-hmm. And he has been a coordinator in college, two different co- colleges. Um, I want to say Colorado and Minnesota. No, not Minnesota, but Colorado for sure. Mm-hmm. And before coming to the Kansas City Chiefs and the Minnesota Vikings as well. Huh? This is a guy with a great resume. This is a guy who has been on a team that has appeared in four straight AFC Championship games, two Super Bowls, and he has won one. Now, let's get to the moving goalposts. The first thing, Eric Bieniemy is reported as not calling the players under Andy Reid. No problem. But that didn't stop Matt Nagy or Doug Peterson before him under the same Andy Reid in the same Kansas City Chiefs where they also did not call the same plays. That didn't stop them from getting head coaching jobs in Chicago and Philadelphia, respectively. So when that's brought up, then they try to move the goalposts yet again. They say, but what about his off-field issues? And again, don't get me wrong. The off-field issues are bad, are terrible. That didn't stop you from hiring Urban Meyer, though. Uh, Urban Meyer, and I know this is AJ's favorite coach, a man who has a laundry list of off-field issues, and we've gone through this on the show already. So I won't even talk about that completely other than to say he knowingly recruited a known gangbanger and pretend he didn't know 30 of his former Florida Gators were charged arrested, etc., etc. He knowingly hid the domestic violence situation with one of his assistant head coaches and often uses his failing health as a reason to ditch jobs when it gets sore. And they could go on and on and on. And then he got to the NFL and hired a man who was charged or reported to be racist in terms of the strength and conditioning coach at Jacksonville. It didn't stop you from hiring Urban Meyer. And then Urban Meyer brought those situations or that controversy within the NFL, which led to his firing and Shad Khan pretending, oh my gosh, I didn't know that Urban Meyer would be this guy. Then even before the enemy, what were we told? We were told the problem with getting young black coaches into head coaching roles, we are not producing offensive minds and offensive minds particularly touching quarterbacks. We produce Jim Caldwell, we produce Eric Bieniemy, we produce Byron Leftwich, and all three of those men are currently still without a job, or at least a head coaching job. 
And as much as they look and spit in our face and tell us lies and say, you need to have black coaches in, as offensive minds that deal primarily with quarterbacks, look at this coaching here. Tell me the offense or the quarterback that Matt Eberflus deals with. For those who don't know, Matt Eberflus just got the Chicago Bears job being defensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts. I didn't know that quarterbacks play defense all of a sudden. Tell me, and by the way, Matt Eberflus is now being given a bright young quarterback prospect in Justin Fields, being a defensive-minded coach, by the way. Huh? Please tell me the offense that Dennis Allen runs. Please tell me. Dennis Allen is on an offensive mind. Please tell me yet again the offense that Brandon Staley ran when he was over in the charge. I mean, in the, in the Rams. Tell me. He wasn't. He was a defensive coordinator who made his name because of Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. And he, not being an offensive mind, was being allowed to be in charge of yet another highly graded young quarterback talent in Justin Herbert. And coincidentally, his defense, the Chargers defense got worse under Brandon Staley, just by the way. <laughs> over and over and over again, the goalpost keeps moving. We are not producing people coming through the offensive pipeline. We put offensive coaches there, not getting hired. The enemy is not calling plays. It doesn't matter people who don't call plays and, and we still get head coaching jobs because, no, Doug Peterson got two. It's the off-field issues didn't stop Urban Meyer from getting the job. The goalpost keeps, or, or, or ironically, or, or suitably changing or moving whenever the enemy steps into interview. Oh, yes, I forgot the last goalpost that was moved. He doesn't interview well because, of course, we would have no evidence of this, right? Maybe have no, we can't, we can't refute this because we're not saying no interview and no one is tape recording interviews to give us the public. And yet, the scene sat down with the man that does not interview well for eight hours. Gentlemen, outside of breathing, I have never done anything in my life for eight hours straight. Never. Let, Justin, let me just add to that. We heard that McDaniel with Miami interviewed for nine hours with the Miami job, and that was framed, that nine-hour interview was framed as the reason why they went with him instead of Kellen Moore from Dallas. So the nine-hour interview with, with McDaniels with the Dolphins is framed as, oh, yes, this was definitely the man because he was in the room for nine hours but the eight-hour interview for the enemy, it, it doesn't amount to anything. Yeah, it, it it, it, so, it, it's kind of obvious that this man is not going to get a head coaching job. So this man interviews poorly, but he wanted to sit down for eight hours to find out that he interviews poorly. And let me say, right, that's a level of incompetence because I'll explain to you why, right? As you all know in Barbados, I worked at the Nation as a sports journalist, huh? And this is no job not on janitors. But if you had a company and you were starting a 
sports magazine or you're starting a newspaper and you want a sports editor. And I came in and a janitor with no sports writing experience whatsoever came in. And my interview wasn't the greatest and he told you whatever in this interview. Are you telling me that with my 15, 16 years of experience in sports journalism, that you're going to take the janitor over me because of an interview? You have to be crazy. And the same thing with Kellen Moore. Don't mind what the Dolphins brass told you. It wasn't the interview that McDaniel got the job. It is because of what they did before. Kellen Moore is not good. And McDaniel is. You don't need an interview. You need a resume. And I can sit down with my two eyes and see that Kellen Moore is not going to be a good head coach. And I can sit down with my two eyes and look at McDaniel and see the offense he runs and the success he gets out of it. Because if I have oh, that Prescott, if I have Ezekiel Elliott, if I have Amari Cooper, and if I have um Lamb, and I can't score with that offense, I should not be interviewing for anything. <laughs> so as he interviews, it is the, it is it is the off-field issues, it is he's not calling plays. Goalposts just randomly moves to Eric Bien. I say all that to say is unfortunate, but Eric Bieniemy clearly is not going to ever get a head coaching job in this league. Well, your points are well articulated, both of you, and as well as AJ. Um, so there's not a lot for me to add to what you guys have said. What I will say, though, is that I, I actually do believe that, and I made this point before, um, before we started, that if Dennis Allen had not been promoted, if he had gotten a job somewhere else, chances are Eric Bieniemy would have gotten the hire in New Orleans because of the fact that if we're losing, we've, we've lost our head coach, our offensive coordinator has also said that he was basically done. He, he wasn't interested in interviewing for the head coaching position. And then... We're not going to promote our, our, our special teams coordinator. Bienemy and Lefwich were the only other two options that were being touted as head coaching options for the Saints. As far as I know, Lefwich, well, Lefwich would have had to come in the door because according to the Rooney Rule, you have to interview two minority candidates. So chances are he did interview as well. But we did hear that he got an eight-hour interview like Bienemy did. So I look at that and I say, well, if we're looking to still try to develop a dynamic offense and we've lost pretty much everybody else, then Bienemy probably would have been the one to get that position. That's me supposing, but I'm not one of the decision makers. So I could be wrong. I could be wrong. And I don't hold my hands and say that I could be wrong. Because I, I, I genuinely don't know. But that is my belief. And understanding the Saints organization a little bit is why I believe that he may have gotten the chance. I have beachfront property in Green Bay to sell you if you honestly believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I, was just, I was just about to say, right? I, I can understand. You know what? That's a, that's a homer pick. I... I know you want to think of your team as Saints, pun very much intended. <laughs> However, I don't think that that was ever going to be the case. It, it's, it's nice to think so, though. 
I'll leave, I'll, I'll leave you with that. And I, I know, like you said, you probably won't, you probably won't die on that hill, right? Which is fair. Oh. <laughs> but I, I definitely am on the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to that take. Well, I mean, your skepticism is warranted. I'm not, I'm not going to be disingenuous and say that you're saying that is just being a hater or whatever. It, it does come with merit. But that is how I'm going to choose to view it. And if I'm wrong, then so be it. However, property. <laughs> but like I said, though, the fact still remains uh, that uh, the enemy still continues to get overlooked for every position. And similar, like Flores has the instances for the enemy in his suit as examples as to black people being overlooked. Does that help or does that harm? Only time will tell. But the enemy, he continues to fight the good fight. I also did have the thought that, you know, if you were to go somewhere not being under Andy Reid's shadow, maybe it might help. But this is us as a people continuing so, okay. to try to create. So, okay, why was that not the case for Matt Nagy and Doug Peterson then? Why did they not need to get from under Andy Reid's shadow to get a job then? Because their complexion is a lot lighter than Airbnb. No, that's why you say that. No, I'm, but I'm, I'm not sure Shane coordinate. I, what I'm saying, the point that I was finishing with just now, is that we continue to try to create a more favorable situation for ourselves. We have to work harder to basically say, it is impossible for me not to get this position Correct. because I have X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D, and come all the way back down to the alphabet again. <laughs> and even then, when we have all of our ducks in a row, somebody is going to come and knock one of them over and say, ah, that duck is the problem. So it's unfortunate. It's, I feel, honestly, I feel kind of bad that we ended the show on a, on a duck. <laughs> but I mean it is what it is this is the conversations and these are hard conversations that not just we are going to have but pretty much the entire sporting world needs to face up to because until we acknowledge that wrong is being done better will never happen let me just uh, add Ken to, to, to give you a little more positive note the NBA was in this situation to some degree not as drastic as the NFL the NBA was being accused of not giving candidates of color an opportunity, a head coaching job, so about three years ago, um, certainly a year before they went into the, to the bubble. And I think the success of the NBA coaches of color last year in those playoffs led to, and if you look at the, the, the jobs that were filled in the NBA, we now have a record number of minority coaches as head coaches in the NBA, record number. So it's not impossible. I know the, the, the jungle that is the NFL is a different jungle, but I think that you just got to have a, a spirit of agitation and you just have to keep calling out people on, you know, when, when you see blatant attempts, you got to call them out. I think, I think calling out is what prevent Josh McNough um, from getting that job. Because I think he wouldn't be the head coach of the Texans had Brian Flores not stepped up, you know. So 
it's gonna take some time, sadly, but we will see. And that's why I, I think Mike Tomlin may have gotten so passionate. Remember, there was a point in the season where a reporter or someone was rumoring um, that Mike Tomlin would be going to take the USC job. Mm -hmm. and Mike Tomlin got very aggressive and passionate in, in that moment. And I think it is because he re he recognizes what he represents and he recognizes what's going on. So he can't be the one to step away from Pittsburgh Steelers to go to, to USC. No matter how much you think of, US, of SC as a, as a college team, you can't because Tomlin knows what he represents in this particular moment in time. Right. I agree. Well, for those of you who have now caught the second half of this episode, because this is get cut in two. There's no way that this can go up. In, in, in Correct. Yeah, so for those of you who have rejoined and caught us on the back end for the second half of the Green Beach podcast this week, we definitely want to thank you for being with us. Those of you who uh, probably didn't come back after the first half, well, you missed this thank you. So, you know, go check it so that you can hear us thanking you for being with us for the two hours plus that we have been here discussing football this week. We definitely want to give a special thanks to Justin of This Justin. Justin, tell the folks where they can find you one more time. Um, if you're not finding us, you're not looking, that's hashtag This Justin. Please put the hashtag or you'll be taken to Matt Kellerman, Kellerman's weaker oh. show on ESPN. So <laughs> hashtag This Justin on all socials, um, Facebook, Instagram, and we have our weekly shows on Monday at 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern, 8 Eastern Caribbean time. Um, we should have a Super Bowl special this Sunday. We haven't determined the time as yet, but as I said, other than that, Mondays on YouTube, 6 p.m. Central. Of course. And thank you very much again, Ricky, for also joining us. We always enjoy having you with us. And these gentlemen will be back with us as we do our Super Bowl recap. We've done a preview. So next week, it's time for a review. You have a few coaching hires still to go through. So we'll touch on that. And it is the NFL, so God knows what happens between now and next Tuesday when we, when we record this episode. So, as always... When we reconvene next week, two of us will be right and two of us would have been wrong. Oh, Who yeah. there? Who there? <laughs> exactly. I don't, we have to ask the viewers which side are they rooting for? Is it going for the left side or the right side? But I know <laughs> that I am with my guy Richie. We are going to be backing the Bengals this Sunday. Yeah. Well, Justin and I will stick with the Rams. Okay. No problem. So that brings us to the end of an extended Green Bay's podcast this week. That is AJ, he is the green, I am Ken, I am the beige, and we all will see you <laughs> next time. Here, here. <laughs>